Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. Um, my name is Laura, and I really love your podcast. And I just had a little story to tell about assuming good intentions. So this was actually something that I witnessed and not something that I experienced personally, but I just found it really interesting. So I come from Montreal, Quebec, which is pretty well evenly divided into folks who speak French and folks who speak English. And there's a really strong cultural divide among the Francophones and the Anglophones. Um, the Francophones are really concerned that their language and their culture is being eradicated. And the Anglophones feel like, you know, maybe the Francophones are overreacting a little bit or maybe being a little bit silly about how intense they get about preserving their language. So, for example, we even have something called the language police, who are people who go around and will measure signs, like literally with a tape measure, to make sure that the French text is twice as large as the English text on the sign. So anyway, when I was an undergraduate at McGill, I was a cashier at a grocery store, and I had an interaction that I witnessed one day where there was an Anglophone woman who I served at the cash, and I scanned all her groceries and she paid up, and right behind her was a Francophone woman. And the Francophone woman turned to the Anglophone woman and said, oh, est-ce que je peux vous aider? You know, asking, may I help you? Kind of 
pack up your groceries. And the woman who spoke English obviously did not speak any French. And she like whipped around and said to the woman behind her, I don't know what you just said, but it sounded nasty. And everybody stared at this lady because the French woman had really just asked her if she wanted help. But the woman had really assumed the very worst intentions in the Francophone lady and really just went all out with these super negative stereotypes about how folks who speak French are going to be really, really rude and mean to people who speak English. The whole situation was just not very pleasant to witness. Anyway, um, thank you so much for making this podcast. It's really a bright spot in my week. Thank you. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is The Real Question. A big thanks to everyone who recently signed up for our Patreon, Libby N, Book and Spoon, great name, Christy S, Allison, Kevin P, and Julia C. We're very, very grateful that you're with us and that you can now listen to all the fabulous little extras like bloopers, an extra Lectio Divina, a monthly moment of meditation and inspiration from me, plus a Discord community to connect with other listeners. But Casper, Laura's voicemail... <laughs> Is amazing, and so I good. would be that Anglophone. <laughs> I identified so hard with that woman who turned around and was like, I don't know what you just said. But it sounded nasty. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I would have said that. Depending on my mood, it would depend on how stressed I was in the rest of my day. I would yeah. either be like, oh, sorry, I don't speak French. Or I'd be like, what? I don't know what you just said. Yeah. And I think it is because I would assume bad intentions. I would assume that they were like, get out of the way or have be making a nasty comment or mm. judging me in some way. Mm. So my question today is, should we assume good intentions and of strangers, right? Because mm. I think that of our friends and family, it can often be hard to assume good intentions, but I, I think we should, right? Like we should trust each other and try to work past it. But I really don't know what to do about strangers. And I wasn't going to tell these stories, but Laura made it about France in my head. So I, I did this thing almost exactly as to what this woman did in Laura's story. My brother David and I were lost in Paris and we were trying to figure out where to go. We were in our early 20s traveling, backpacking around. And this police officer came up to us and started speaking to us in rapid fire French. And I was just like, I don't know what you're saying. And she got very defensive and was like, I was going to ask if you needed help finding your way. And she said it in perfect English and then walked away from us. Oh, and no. I like more than like it was a missed opportunity of getting her help. I felt so bad. Like it ruined mm. my day and I ruined David's day because I was like, oh, my God, I was a bitch to this woman who was trying to help us. But the previous day, looking back, David and I. We're setting off from our hostel somewhere where we knew where we were going. And this young woman who was Hungarian, and so we could speak to her a little bit, was heading in the same direction. And so we were like, oh, we can walk you. And mm. it came up 
that we were Jewish. You know, we were talking about Budapest and whatever, and it came up that we were Jewish. And she went, oh, that explains it, and, like, walked away from us. Wow. So, you know, I want to cut myself a little slack looking back. Certainly at the time when I was rude to this police officer, I wasn't like, ah, because yesterday somebody was rude to me (laughs) who I trusted. But I I do think that those two moments are connected of like, I assumed good intentions or innocence and a stranger and got slapped in the face. And so the following day, I was like, screw you. I don't know. Yeah. And it feels both high stakes and low stakes, right? Like somebody comes up to you to ask for directions and you're like, are they actually trying to steal my purse? Which has happened to me. But like 99% of the time, people are not trying to steal your purse. And so I want to help people who want directions and I want to go out of my way and like walk someone to the corner to point something out Mm. to them. And And every once in a while, something bad happens because of those moments. And I don't know if I should live my life in defense of those bad moments or Mm. if I should count those bad moments like, okay, I'm going to be nice 100 times and one out of 100, someone's going to take advantage and it's just fine that that happens. I mean, the way you just articulated that of... Do I assume good intentions and then once, you know, in a blue moon, am I willing to be taken advantage of? Or do I, you know, look into the world and see danger and and potential threats and then feel bad the whole time, especially if I'm rude to people like that feels like the the stakes here in this conversation, because it would be Pollyanna-ish to just be like, no, I will never get taken advantage of. And also it would just be too depressing to be like, and not just too depressing, like you yourself have benefited from the kindness of strangers. So it would actually kind of be shooting yourself in the foot a little bit to just always assume bad intentions because you have been that person yourself. So it feels like this conversation hopefully is about figuring out which one do you choose? Is it is it fair to say like which poison do you drink or or which medicine do you choose? I don't know how to phrase that. Yeah. And it's, I'd like to say that I do think I walk through the world 70% of the time assuming good intentions, right? Like my default for political reasons is to give money to homeless people. My default is to stop and give directions. It's when I feel in danger, do I take a breath and assume good intentions or Mm. not? Because when I'm with another person and it's broad daylight and I've got a little time on my hands, I assume good intentions, right? Like, because there's a little bit of a cushion, like I'm going to be fine. The question is like in line at the grocery store, when I'm with my brother and a police officer is walking up to me, these moments of stress, is it okay that I shut down and I'm like, nope. Well, that feels like the right moment for us to turn to your first text, Vanessa. What did you bring us? So I brought the 1991 classic Thelma and Louise. This is a famous movie starring Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. And it's a road trip movie about two women finding their voices. I don't want to spoil like anything, but these two women are on the run and in a high stress situation. And... Susan Sarandon is the more 
like assume bad intentions, especially in men person. Mm. Mm -hmm. And she is like the more responsible person. Gina Davis plays the more trusting woman, but she's in an abusive relationship with her husband. She gets herself into dangerous situation with men again and again. And Susan Sarandon has to constantly get her out of these situations. And so there is very much like an assume good intentions character and assume bad intentions character. Cool. So what I'm going to play you is a micro scene. Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon are on this road trip where they're running from the police. So very high stakes for them. They stop to get snacks at a convenience store. And Susan Sarandon's in the store. Gina Davis is sitting in the car. And 27-year-old Brad Pitt saunters up to Gina Davis and is like, where are you headed? I'm hitchhiking. Can I get a ride? And Gina Davis says, I would love to, but it's not my car. So we have to ask my friend. And here's the clip. Boys, hey, boys, uh, this young man here is on his way back to school. And I thought since we're going the same direction, you know, we could give him a ride, huh? It's probably not a good idea. Boys. No, probably not. But I appreciate your time. You all have a good day, all right? Drive safe. Please. Did you see how polite he is? She's real sweet. Thelma? What? So the, the part that I'm pulling is Susan Sarandon saying, probably not a good idea. And Gina Davis responding, did you see how polite he was? He's so sweet. And he looks like Brad Pitt. And he I mean, she didn't looks say that. Like Brad Pitt. <laughs> it is actually important for the sake of the movie that he looks so young and innocent and also so hot. So hot. <laughs> so, just on like the broadest terms, what ends up happening is that they are both right. They end up giving Brad Pitt a ride. And Brad Pitt saves them from the police once, but also robs them. Wow. And so the movie is like pretty ambivalent about whether or not this was a good move to eventually pick them up. And I very much see myself in the Susan Sarandon character. Like we are in a dangerous situation already. We are not going to go off course at all. We don't owe this man anything. It's a young man. He's safe in this world. (laughs) Like, absolutely not. But, like, he does end up helping them out a little bit. And Gina Davis ends up having the best sex of her life with him. So (laughs) it really works out for her. Except the money part. Except for the money part. He, Yeah, he robs them, which gets them to do more and more desperate things. Let me ask you this. Do you think Gina Davis's character would say at the end of the story that it was worth it, that she would stick with her choice? No, she would not. But I think part of it is because of embarrassment. Like she is really upset when it turns out that he's robbed them. But she, I think, is really sad that she's disappointed Susan Sarandon and that she she's embarrassed at her own naivete. Yeah. I think it's really embarrassing to trust someone and then have them take advantage of you. No, I think they both think it was a mistake to give in and 
be nice to this guy. I think we, the viewer, are like, oh, it it worked out in some ways, actually. But really, I think really the the message overall is that it was a mistake, that they showed a moment of feminine weakness and patriarchy took advantage of them. Yeah. I'm also really struck by that word embarrassment or, or embarrassed that she feels this sense of like she's looking stupid in front of her friend and comrade on the road. And I feel like one of the things that's at stake in this conversation is the story you tell about yourself. Because I think for Gina, she's like, yes, people are good. This person is polite, she says. He's so sweet, she says. And so I can trust him. And it sounds like by the end of the movie, essentially she's like, I can't trust my own sense of whether people are good or bad. And therefore I'm untrustworthy. And so I'm curious, like, what what's the story you have about yourself in this question? Like, who is Vanessa to you and how she engages strangers in the world? I am, I'm just like very hesitant around strangers. I fell in yeah. the street the other day and a man came up to help me up and he was yeah. so kind and he would have sort of been a monster if he hadn't, right? Like I I had fallen and I had to really talk myself down of like, be nice to him, be nice to him because I knew I was going to be able to get up. And so I was like, I just need a second. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. And he was like, are you sure? Which is again, like the right thing to do, (laughs) right? You don't know if your leg is broken for like 30 seconds. So he... He was doing everything right. And I had to be like, do not snap at this nice man. Yeah. But also I like didn't want his help. (laughs) I knew I needed a second to collect myself and that I would get up and be fine. Yeah. And so it just takes a lot of energy for me to be nice to strangers. I like I, you know, I hike my dog almost every day and I wear headphones when I hike because I do not like to talk to people. And (laughs) it's a scary situation. I'm in the woods alone as a woman. And it's mostly other men who are hiking alone in the woods. And I enjoy it so much. Again, I go every day. But like, I do not like it when men talk to me when I'm in the woods by myself. And And so if a man starts talking to me and I have my big headphones on, I will snap at them. Every single time I'll be like, I'm on the phone and like keep walking. Mm. And like, I think I'm right. I think it is a very strange move to start trying to have a conversation with someone who's wearing huge headphones. Like, I don't understand what they want. And then as I walk away, I'm like, maybe they were lost. Maybe they like needed my help in some way. But usually not. Like I politely wave to people. I smile. I'm, you know, I'm not like walking around with a knife being like, who's out there for me? (laughs) But I do want them to read the social cue of like, yeah, I have big old headphones on. I don't want you to talk to me. And it really bothers me when they cross that line. However, there's like one man who I run into every morning. (laughs) I'm like, he and I are buddies. I, he hasn't attacked me once, not once in the two years that I've seen him <laughs> three or four days a week. And so like we've become buddies, you know? Yeah. But we became buddies very slowly and like around other people at the dog park part 
of the hike. And now we run into each other in the woods alone. And I'm like, I know this guy and I know his dog. And, you know, he's met Peter. So I'm like, he knows someone would notice if I went missing. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think I'm pretty agitated depending on the situation. Yeah. What I'm really hearing, Vanessa, is that underneath a lot of the situations that you're describing, especially when you're on your own, is that you're scared. Like that there's just a a very reasonable and rational fear that sits underneath a lot of these interactions. And I'm curious, is part of this question one way where you don't want to feel that? Or is it more an acceptance of that feeling? And then what do I do with it? Yeah. I walk through it scared, but I also walk through it angry. (laughs) It's like really Mm. what it is. Like I didn't want a French cop walking up to me. Like I was preemptively mad. I was like, what? Right. Like (laughs) I am taking up room on the sidewalk. And if I'm breaking a rule or a law, like it's a bullshit one, which is why I think I would be mad in line at that grocery store of like, this is not my fault as an Anglophone in Quebec. This is a bigger structural problem. And like, we are going to have an altercation over that bigger structural problem in line at the grocery store. I'm I'm mad at like the state mm. of the world. So I'm like, look, I'm doing this thing that takes emotional energy from me. I'm going hiking on my own at six in the morning. Fucking respect it. <laughs> like, Give me my goddamn space. Yeah. And so I think my fear has created structures in my life of I only hike on my own in places that I know really well. Like I don't travel and then hike on my own. I travel and hike with friends. Or if I'm traveling alone for work and have to go out to a restaurant, I sit at the bar at a corner with a book. So the bartender sees me, right? Like there's a lot of strategy through walking through the world scared. And I think what then ends up happening is that fear turns to anger when someone doesn't respect one of the boundaries that I've put up or something has happened like I've fallen, which was not in my plan. And so I get I get mad. I get mad that I'm scared and other people aren't respecting that I'm reasonably scared. So I again, I want to affirm everything that you're saying, like it makes sense. And I'm curious that there's something in you that doesn't feel good about it. Like you're bringing it as a question and I'm wondering what is the What's the flavor in this that you're like, ah, but I don't, I don't want to be like this. Can you point us to that part? I mean, I'm making people feel bad sometimes and I don't like that. I also think it's like bad politically for the world, right? Mm. Like I'm sending off a man to think, God, women suck. Or this woman at the grocery store was mean to a woman who was trying to be nice to her. Like that's horrible. And it feels high stakes horrible. Like when I'm on my deathbed, I want to be proud of who I was. And Mm. I know like the moments that I'm proudest of in my life are when I'm kind to people. I'm not proud of the moments where I snap at people. Like those are shameful. Mm. And I was fine with the guy who was nice to me when I fell. But I should have been really gracious. I should have been like, thank you. Give me a second. I'll let Mm. you know. Hold on. Yeah, do you know what I am? Okay, but I really appreciate it. And I think moments like that are contagious and make the world better. And I think that Mm. moments where we're mean to each other are contagious and make the world worse. And so 
it feels high stakes to me because like at the end of the day, all we are is how we treat one another. Mm. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be mean. <laughs> I don't want to be mean to people, yeah. but also I don't want to be robbed. <laughs> These are two competing <laughs> things in my life. Well, I wonder if this is a good moment to transition to our second text. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So Vanessa, you've given us this kind of dichotomy between the importance of kindness because it shapes not just that moment, but all sorts of other moments that follow on from it. And yet at the same time, that necessity of safety and precaution. What's the second text that you're bringing us to help us figure that out? So the second text I'm bringing is an episode of Radiolab. Ooh, So for those of you who, I don't know, live under a rock, Radiolab is one of the most successful podcasts that have ever existed. And it's a podcast that looks closely at science, all kinds of science, from physical sciences to social sciences to psychological sciences. And this episode that they did is called Tit for Tat. And to some extent, it's about game theory, which we don't have to get into. But the clip I'm going to play is about a man who lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, you know, this is the height of the Cold War where there's an arms race going on between the United States and the USSR. And essentially, neither side trusts one another. And so they just keep mm. building more and more bombs and more and more missiles. And there's an argument, a diplomatic argument for keeping this up because what there is is mutually assured destruction and that that is actually safer than either side stopping the building of weapons and starting doing things like, I don't know, using the money to invest in schools, right? (laughs) God forbid. And so this man was like, I wonder 
if an arms race is actually the right way to go about this. And so he started a computer program contest where people would create code and have these games simulate which strategy is the best code for diplomatic success. And here is the clip. Cool. It's really two lines of code. Two lines of code? Yeah, it's got a simple name. It's it's called tit for tat. First line of code? Be nice. Nice? Yeah, nice. Nice is a technical word in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Nice means I never am nasty first. And after that... Second line of code? It just does what the other player did on the previous move. So if the other player has just cooperated, it'll cooperate. And if the other player has just defected, it'll defect. It retaliates on the next move. Couldn't be clearer. On the other hand, it only retaliates that one time. I mean, unless provoked further. It does its retaliation and now bygones are bygones and that's it. And this code was so successful that it ran against all of these other codes and essentially it can create a more peaceful world eventually wow. via code. And I'm compelled by this. First of all, right, like never nasty first. And then you're only retaliatory once, right? You respond in kind. So I really like this strategy and I think it could be the key for a lot of things because I think what ends up happening is if one person starts cooperating, the other person's going to cooperate. And like good things are going to start to happen back and forth, back and forth. And the other thing is it doesn't allow for people to be taken advantage of, right? It's like you just did something mean to me. Okay, I'm going to attack back. So I, I think that this is so smart. And I don't know what it means for how I change living my life. Like what does it mean that I'm nice first? Does it mean that I don't even put my headphones on in the morning? Does it mean that the first time a guy speaks to me, even though I'm wearing my headphones, I assume good intentions there? Because I could perceive that as an attack. Like 99% of men don't talk to me with my headphones on because they're like, that woman clearly doesn't want to be talked to. She's waved. Doesn't she seem lovely? And like, we we all keep walking. (laughs) And so do I consider the 1% of men who talk to me an attack? Or am I like, that's not the attack. The next thing would be an attack. And so I really love this idea. I think it's a great way to walk through the world. And I have no idea what it actually means for me and how I live my life. I'm so struck by that strategy, especially like the be nice first thing. And I'm wondering, is there a way? And I, and let's focus in on this, like taking the dog for a walk in the woods moment. I think it's really helpful. Is there a way that you can be the one that initiates, like that you can be the one who is nice first. So rather than having to respond to something that feels mm, kind of nice, but also kind of like an, an aggressive move, right? And he's ignoring a clearly social norm that you're trying to establish. What if you're the one who just like takes out an earphone and goes like, hi, how you doing? And then puts it back on before he even has a chance to do anything. So there are two problems with that. <laughs> first of all, I do a version of that. Already. Yeah. I wave wave. and smile, right? Like I don't remove my headphone, but I wave and smile. The other thing is, is like, again, 90% of men don't talk to me. And like, 
I think that people who go to the woods on their own at six in the morning, like most of us don't want to talk. And so like, it's a lot of like men on runs and like, I don't want to disrupt their quiet time. Also like talk about fear of embarrassment. I'm always afraid that men think I'm like hitting on them. Mm. Like, I'm like, I'm not flirting with you. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Like, I, I just like don't want any part of an awkward interaction. I don't want to invade their quiet, special time. I think that there should be like a park that's like the quiet car on a train. <laughs> like we're all here to be alone. Let me challenge you on this a little bit, though, because when we say we want quiet time or we don't want to be bothered, there's different ways for that to be true. And I think you can have a silent encounter with someone that is much more stressful or like awkward, or you end up still thinking about it five minutes later compared to a brief verbal interaction, for example. And this is just one way of doing that. But like the simple thing often ends up being more complicated later and a slightly more complicated thing right up front makes it more simple later. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But for the 10% of guys who talk to me through my headphones, I don't think they want to hurt me in any way. I think they want five minutes of my time that I don't want to give them. I think it, right, like it's, oh, what kind of dog is that? Oh, how long have you had her? Oh, oh, she's so good, whatever. And like when I'm on a walk with Peter and the kids, I have like a whole comedy routine that I do. I'm very good. (laughs) The kids make fun of me. They're like, now she's going to make this joke. You know, like I'm, (laughs) I'm very good about it. But my genuine desire at six in the morning is to not talk to anyone. And then also I'm genuinely scared. Like maybe he's trying to distract me so his friend can attack me. Like if I say hello in a more than like a smile, not right. Like, and I even verbally, I'll go, good morning, like, and just keep walking. And they want more than that. Mm. I guess the question is, do I consider that an attack? Because right now I do. I consider that an attack, in which case I think it's okay to retaliate and go, I'm on the phone and keep walking. Well, this is helpful because I feel like I completely confirm, good morning, right? You're doing nice first, tick, part of the strategy, done. Next comes the awkward interaction where they want something more than what you want to give, right? For this small sliver of people where, where, where it gets awkward, what you say of I'm on the phone or I'm sorry, I, I, I need to keep going or what, whatever it is that you're, that you're saying to like make it clear you don't want to do that. There are two things happening there. There's the words that you're saying, right? You're, you're communicating information. And then there's the way in which you're saying it, which is communicating emotion. And I'm wondering, rather than going from nice to, to the double whammy, yeah. can you go from nice to a single whammy before we have to get to the double whammy, which either is like suddenly glaring at them and like running away, or it's like saying friendly, but calmly, like, I'm sorry, I'm on the phone or I'm sorry, I'm listening to music or I I don't know, something that's like, no, we're not going to chat. Yeah. Yeah, there is. I think what happens is that I feel, I really do feel attacked. Yeah. And the, the, the bad guy isn't the guy who's being awkward. The bad guy is the guy who raped a girl in the woods who's making me scared of this innocent guy. Like this guy's just awkward. That's his whole crime. Right. I mean, this is the moment that I'm assuming bad intentions. Like, yes, I think that that is a great next step. 
of politely saying, oh, sorry, I'm on the phone, like have such a good day. And then if they cross a boundary again, then seeing that as an attack rather than seeing not understanding my social cues as an attack. Right. And I think it's an extremely generous posture. And maybe the takeaway from this is less like I'm always going to do it. And it's more like I'm going to try it one time and see how it feels because, you know, some people do need a little more help with social cues, right? Like different cultural contexts. We can't always know what they're seeing or, or the information that they're able to process. Well, and I like the cultural part of it is so important to me, right? Because like, I do think that people try to empathize and are like, I would want to be said hello to so that right. I wouldn't feel scared and alone in the woods. Like, I think a lot of these people probably have really good intentions, which gets back to this original question of like, my gut is not to assume bad intentions, but to assume selfish intentions that like, this mm. man wants to talk to me regardless of what social cues I'm giving him. And it's entirely possible that he's reading the social cues I'm giving him and is just reading them differently. You and I read things closely and differently for a living, right? <laughs> like He's like, oh, this poor girl is like so afraid to be alone that she has a voice in her phone. Maybe she needs some real human interaction, right? Like, who knows? <laughs> and I'm like screaming at them. As they try to be nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that you're right. That I need to not see the initial attempt at conversation, the attempt past the hello as an attack. Mm. And need to wait a second longer to see if it's an attack. I'm wondering if it's helpful to look at the text again. I'm just looking at towards the end of the quote that you picked from this Radio Lab episode. And then bygones are bygones and that's it. And so I'm wondering, maybe maybe we're looking too much at the interaction and maybe the interaction is always going to be weird. Is there something that you can help yourself not get stuck in whatever awkwardness there was in the interaction and find a way for it to be like, okay, that happened, but I'm not going to spend the rest of this hour long walk feeling, you know, upset or embarrassed or sad or scared or angry. Yeah. And I, I think that that's also true in Thelma and Louise. Like they originally say no to Brad Pitt and like later say yes. And it's this like hmm. negative self-talk that lets them later say yes, which is the mistake. I think at a certain point I have to be like, okay, I tried my hardest and like that went badly and not let that become its own spiral of negativity. Mm -hmm. Like try to be nice to the next guy mm -hmm. and not be like, well, this went badly yesterday. So I don't think that I like become a better person by obsessing about these things. Yeah. I also don't think it's nice to yell at French police officers who are trying to help you. Or nice ladies in the Quebecois like checkout line. Right. Yeah. Bad luck. <laughs> But yeah, instead of beating ourselves up, what we should do is like go out and be nice to someone, right? Hmm. That's what I'm really hearing in, in this episode is, is just the intention that you have, knowing that you're building on a layer of fear, which is very real and totally reasonable, 
the the practice of kindness and being I love that like nice means I'm never nasty first I think that's such a beautiful way of being to take into the world even if it takes a little work now and then I mean I just think right like that the first is still the thing that I'm stuck on because what that woman in the grocery store thought was that the other woman was being nasty yeah and so it's also if you're not sure that the other person is being nasty is it really risky to assume for a microsecond that the person is being nice and not nasty like that woman could have given it one second where she was just like what Mm. or right i don't speak french she actually ended up being the person who was nasty first. And I think that often what happens in human interactions and diplomacy is that we assume that the other person is being nasty first when really the other person is miscommunicating first. And I think often we can just be curious for a second longer. Mm. Mm. It's rare that like a half second is going to make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can just be like, sorry, what? And I can say that to men too, right? Like I can take off my headphone and go, I'm sorry, what? And then they're saying, oh, what kind of dog? And then I can say, oh, she's a terrier. I got to keep walking, right? But I'm at least giving them the chance to be like, do you know which way the parking lot is? Right, right. Did you know there's toilet paper hanging out of your, like, shorts? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, so I want to thank Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis and 27-year-old Brad Pitt. And then I would also like to thank nuclear disarmament advocates because the arms race was bad. And I want to shout out Rosa in Oxford in the UK who amazingly lives in the UK, but has a Dutch maxim, a piece of wisdom to share, which I'll read it in Dutch, which she wrote down and then translate, is streef onbekomend naar het ideale, which means to to strive unburdened towards the ideal, which I feel is quite fitting for this conversation. So thank you, Rosa. And I want to do a call out for voicemails because I'm going to ask the question, is it okay to be a monarchist, to like the royal family? And so I'm really curious if you have a story about liking an institution or maybe a tradition that isn't perfect. In fact, it's probably far from perfect, but you still want to keep hold of it in one way or another. So send us your two-minute stories to realquestion at notsorryproductions.com. You've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show because of our patrons. So if you have the means to help us out, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you love our show, please leave us a review wherever it is that you are listening to us right now. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and Twitter at therealqpod. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman and we love her. Our music is by Nick Bull and we like him a lot. And we are distributed by Acast. We want to thank Laura for her amazing voicemail this week. Julia, Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Paulsell, and each and every one of our patrons. Thank you, everyone. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.
Hi listeners, this is Naomi Westwater. You may know me from my previous classes at Not Sorry. I'm dropping into your feed today to let you know about an upcoming course I'm running starting March 17th called Creating Daily Ritual, Tarot as a Sacred Practice. In this course, I will teach you about the history and meaning of the cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck and model how they can be used as a tool for self-reflection and creativity. Through lecture, discussion with your classmates, and solo journaling, I will aim to help you develop your individual connection with tarot, this ancient tool for meaning-making. If you're looking to elevate your daily ritual, please join me starting Sunday evening, March 17th, for six weeks of habit-building, learning, and community. Head to notsorryworks.com for more information, and be sure to check out our sliding scale pricing and scholarships listed on the website. That's notsorryworks.com.